0: If this new NCAA subdivision passes, it will ruin Baylor athletics and a lot of schools like us. This is Locked on Baylor. You are Locked on Baylor, your daily podcast on the Baylor Bears, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Locked on Baylor. I'm your host, Cam Stewart. The only place that you're getting anything thing Baylor athletics content five days a week, not coming straight from the university. And thank you for making it your first listen today and every day. The big news coming out yesterday as you're listening to this is that Charlie Baker, former governor of Massachusetts, now head of the NCAA, wrote a letter uh, highlighting what would be a probably the biggest change in the history of the NCAA, maybe the biggest change in the history of college athletics. And that is essentially making a new subdivision within division one. That's just for the rich and the powerful, just the very top programs. Well, not top programs, you know, based off performance, but based off the money, we've always known the NCAA was about the money and As fans, we can handle that most of the time. But this, from what I'm grasping at it, would make it just detrimental for 90% of universities that partake in athletics, Division I athletics. So I pulled this article. I read a a couple of different articles today about this because I still, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't have a great full 100% understanding of, of what this is going to look like. Um, and there's some questions I wish I could ask my man, Charlie, uh, the rhino that he is. Um, what, what how this looks during the season, during the postseason, what sports go into it, what sports don't. Um, so I read around a few different articles today, and there was really only one that I found that was, both informational had a lot from the actual document and some commentary in there to try and dumb it down for us and that's from Nicole Auerbach of the Athletic she's one of the leading college football and basketball writers she does a great job and so i printed it out and did some highlighting so we're going to go through this story in particular so basically like i said the, the new subdivision within division 1 for the for the top earners basically um that the, big, the biggest thing that it would do is it would give those schools the ability to compensate athletes through a trust fund and direct NIL licensing agreements, okay? So again, that's just the highest resources schools that they're saying. We're going to come back to that later. Um, But basically, this is an enhanced educational trust fund, which is essentially a salary for these players. It would require each of these schools to have an investment of at least $30,000 per year, per athlete, for at least half of the school's eligible athletes. So the way I'm seeing that is Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama or USC can put their entire football team on the payroll at at least $30,000 a year. That's not NIL. That's not all the lucrative money these guys can make from the NIL and the funds and appearances and anything like that. This is a salary from the university of at least 30,000. So I say they can put it all to the football team because how I'm reading that is at least half of the school's eligible athletes, but there's nothing that gate keeps that, you know, how many athletes it needs to be. Now, these schools do need to adhere to Title IX. So maybe that will say, okay, you know, half of that half has to be to female athletes. Half of that half has to be to, to male athletes. I don't know. Um... But yeah, providing equal monetary opportunities to female and male athletes. So I imagine you're going to see a lot of that on on the football team for the male athletes. And there will be no strings attached to the trust fund payments. Athletes will be free to use the money however they want it, which is that part is how it should be. Athletes, whatever money they make, should be able to use it however they want. And there's still some weird verbiage with that in NIL that, that they can't necessarily or, or coming from the money coming from the university, which wouldn't be through NIL, would of course be a little bit different. That's for their rent and stuff. So anyway, if the proposal were to pass, schools in the new subdivision could create their own rules separate from the rest of division one. That's, that's scary. That's scary. And Charlie Baker had said that, you know, these are schools who are bringing in more money than the rest of these other schools, and they can't be all in the same governing body because of the vast differences. This is actually right into my wheelhouse when it comes to actual politics, uh, but not with the NCAA and not for a sport that we love. For a livelihood in your day-to-day life, yes, you need great representation that, that's not just broad and, and on a major scale. But in terms of the sport we love, if you're all going to be competing for the same thing, then yes, I, I think it needs to have a voice for the little guys as well as the big guys playing each other. But from what this is going to be is all the big guys are going to be in a different playing field. Uh, So it makes more leeway to make policy in areas such as scholarship limits and roster sizes in various spots. So the big dogs, so if Baylor were in the same conference as Ohio State, Ohio State could then have more players than Baylor. They'd be allowed to do that. Um, They'd have more scholarships than Baylor. Apparently they're allowed to do that. And I use that example of Baylor and Ohio State because Baylor is actually, based off the numbers, in the threshold, above the threshold, I should say, to be amongst these big dogs in this new subdivision. Now, will that last? I don't know. Um, In the letter, Baker says that his proposal gives quote, gives the educational institutions with the most visibility, the most financial resources, and the biggest brands an opportunity to choose to operate with a different set of rules that more accurately reflect their scale and their operating model. That is directly from the head of the NCAA. That's not some think piece. That's not some blog. That's not some Colin Cowherd. That's not some butthurt Notre Dame, Alabama, Florida message board. That is directly from from the head of the NCAA. That's scary, man. They're trying to get ahead of a breakaway league by just giving them all the power right now as if they don't have enough damn power. Ask Florida State how much power these schools have. Baker also proposed that any Division I school could enter into an NIL deal directly with its athletes, which is not currently permissible. This is the part that actually helps the little guys. Now, of course, it's going to help the big guys more because they have more money. But now, Baylor, if they wanted to, or TCU or Vanderbilt or Stanford or these other smaller private schools can bump up their tuition and use that to pay athletes. That was not the case before. They can use the money however they want to pay athletes. They don't need to go through a a trust of an NIL to get that money. So, at least that's how I'm reading it. I could be wrong which that would be great for smaller schools, but it doesn't, it doesn't even the playing field by giving the bigger schools that much power. Okay. Um, let's see what else I had highlighted here. So this says that under the proposal, schools in both division one subdivisions, so both of FBS, so gold tier, free tier, whatever you want to call it. Um, Will continue to compete against one another for NCAA championships, except for in FBS football, which is run and governed by the college football playoff. Okay, so now you are giving these schools who already have a distinct advantage over the ones that aren't going to be above the threshold. You are giving them more resources to have even more of an advantage. I don't think I'm it I would have said this three days ago before I saw any of this or even before the transfer portal or the NIL era. I I, I don't think I'm ever going to see Baylor football win a national championship. That's okay. I don't think I'm ever going to see it. But now, this is going to take that out entirely. There's no room for even a, a TCU season of last year. There's no room for that uh, under this. You're, you're just... You're playing for second or third in the conference? I, I don't know. But if you're not rich you have died trying uh, and you're dead. You're dead in this new college, college landscape. Um, opting into the new subdivision would be a school by school decision, but a conference could mandate that all of its members participate. So in the sec, they, they all qualify. And for whatever reason, if Vanderbilt wants to say, you know what? I, I don't want to be a part of this, which is something they might do competition wise. If Vanderbilt's in there with only the big boys, they're going to lose every single year, even worse than they already do. So maybe they're like, hey, let's let's even out the playing field. The SEC can say, nope, you're playing with us. You are going to be our homecoming. You are going to get curb stomped by us, the big boys, all the time. I just think this leaves Baylor out. Even though they're above the threshold, this year's earnings would be about $111 million, and they're talking about $100 million being the threshold. TCU's way above that threshold. But then I look at Texas Tech, who is below that threshold this year. So if it started this year, they'd be out. Baylor and TCU would be in. Tech would be out, even though Tech was better than both those teams. Kansas State would be out, and they were better than all three of those teams. Big 12 champions last year. But if this was started last year, 2022, based off those earnings, Texas Tech would be in comfortably. So that's what scares me, is how much this can fluctuate year to year. Baylor can get relegated even have, after having a great season if they didn't draw enough revenue. That's what sucks. It's relegation not at all based on performance or by mystique. It's all based on money, and I get it. I do. The money makers, like, th- that's not Baylor. That's that's Ohio State and Michigan and USC and Penn State and all those schools. I get that. But one of the last fleeting beauties of the NCAA is that you could overcome that. You could be better than that and still compete. And I'm, I'm running long here for a break, but how does this, this obviously isn't just football. If there's a title nine portion of it to have monetary, um, uh, regulations for both men and women's sports, that means this is going to be all sports. So you, do you, do you, you divide that up for basketball too. Is is Duke on the $100 million threshold? I, I don't know that number. I'll bet they're not. They're not a big football school. They're great basketball. A team, the, the last team to win two national championships in three years, that was Villanova. They're nowhere close to that in football. They, they don't bring in $100 million. No way. Not even when they win the national championship in basketball. How about the defending national champions, UConn? They don't bring that in. So why are we leaving these guys out? (laughs) UConn and Villanova and Baylor would beat the crap out of Penn State in basketball, Ohio State in basketball, USC in basketball. So now we're just using these football rules to blanket all sports. I I think it's just accelerating the death. But all I see are positive comments from ADs because they're ADs of these major schools. I know the NCAA is trying to get out ahead of a breakaway league, but you're just creating your own, which which really sucks for Baylor and uh, quite honestly, the whole Big 12. They can't consistently be in that if the if the thresholds are going to change. Um that is going to leave the Big 12 in the dust and that really sucks. And I know we talk about sports a lot and that's supposed to be the escape here, but when I'm talking about my first sponsor of today's video. Uh, I I do want to just talk a minute about preparing for real life because according to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. Y'all, this is scary, man. I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if one of my loved ones got sick and a supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication they need. So thankfully, we'll be okay because of Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, among others. This stuff could happen to any of us. Doesn't matter how much your athletic department is bringing in for revenue. It can happen to all of us. Visit JaceMedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It'll be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. So go to jacemedical.com and use the offer code locked on to get $20 off your order. That's jacemedical.com, J A S E medical.com, and use the offer code locked on to get $20 off that order. Back to the transfer portal and Baylor sent out some quarterback offers, but there's one that kind of sticks out to me. And I know will stick out to you when you see it online or on Twitter or whatever it may be. And I love it. Okay. I'm a big fan of this. And that, that person is Matthew Sluka. Okay. He is the quarterback at the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts. And he is the best quarterback in FCS. And that shows by the fact that he is about, from what I saw, over 20 offers, by the way, including Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Jeff Lebby, LSU, Brian Kelly, who, by the way, got his coaching started at Assumption College in Worcester, the same town. So he's familiar with Holy Cross a little bit. The best programs out there are in the market for Matthew Sluka. Baylor has already offered him. This kid is a freak. In a good kind of way. Not recruited at all out of high school. Uh, has to do a PG year. Still not great in the recruiting. Has to go to Holy Cross. All he does is take them to the semifinals. The FCS last year. Holy Cross. Yeah, they were a damn good football team. And this year, he has his best completion percentage ever. Which is only 62%. Not terrific, but pretty solid. For 700, 1,700 passing yards. 20 touchdowns. 5 interceptions. Just a hair under nine yards per completion. You're thinking, Cam, that's that's the best quarterback in FCS. That's dumb. That's stupid. Well, then I'll tell you, he also rushed, rushed for 1,243 yards this year and nine touchdowns. And for his career, for his career, he's thrown for 5,896 yards, 59 touchdowns, and just 15 picks in three years as the starter and has rushed in his career for 3,579 yards and 38 touchdowns. He's 6'3", 216 pounds. He's not easy to bring down and he can turn on the Jets. Okay? That sounds a lot like a recent Baylor quarterback who was 6'3 and 226. The same height, but 10 pounds heavier and one heck of a runner. And I know you guys love Gary Bohannon. This kid is Gary Bohannon, but maybe even a little bit better. Okay, he he is just so tough to bring down in the open field. He's done well against FBS competition too because Holy Cross will play up. Um, Bohannon's career completion percentage is 59%. Okay, Uh, Sluka's career... Completion percentage is 58%. Is the Patriot League Offensive Player of the Year. uh, Just a fantastic runner, and like I said, already has over 20 offers on the table. This kid could come in and be an impact quarterback at the Power 5 level. I mean, look, all the coaches realize that. He is an anomaly. He is a run-first guy who can also pass pretty well. Pretty well. And I, I just see him... In a spread offense, and I get goosebumps. I get real goosebumps. Now, you do need to have a good offensive line, even though it's a it's a different style of offense than Baylor's played in the past. But, but, you spread out the field, and you have Richard Reese back, and you have Monterey Baldwin back, and you have the best running quarterback in the conference if you bring him in, that is that is too many weapons to account for just in the backfield which they'll need because I don't know how strong they'll be at receiver even with all these guys coming back. You spread this thing out. He's great at quarterback design runs. Run some RPOs with him in a pro style, but also spread offense. The The world is your oyster offensively. I really think that highly of them. It's not going to make them 10-2, and two, but that is a, a game changer for this offense. <clears throat> now, I know what you're saying. Cam, you said a few days ago that Sawyer Robertson would be a great fit in the spread offense. I do believe that. He's obviously a much different style, of quarterback. He is a a pass-first guy. And you'll be able to do some things with him that you wouldn't be able to do with Sluka. But on the flip side, Sluka would be able to do more. like It'd be more versatile than it would be with Sawyer Robertson. That doesn't even mean it's better. But this kid opens the playbook so well um, because of that running ability. Bayware is not at the level of A&M or LSU in terms of what a recruit is looking at in the transfer portal, but they could offer him one heck of an offense. And I'll bet this kid's going to see that and say, huh, Jake Spavadol was uh, Johnny Manziel's OC. And I feel like I'm a lot of Johnny Manziel. I'm not saying he's that, but I'll bet Sluka thinks that. In fact, I, I give, Gary Bohannon is kind of a like for like, I think, but if you're looking for an even bigger name that he reminds me a lot of, JT Barrett, a true Wichita Falls native from Ohio State, um, who had some great years there, won a national championship there, was an all-conference quarterback. I I look at his numbers, and they're eerily similar. I look at uh, that 2016 season at Ohio State where he was excellent. 61.5% completion percentage. So not all that much better. Uh, 2,500 passing yards and and a few more games played. 24 touchdowns to seven picks. Sluka goes for 20 touchdowns to five picks. The rushing numbers, he was obviously a big threat there as well. JT Barrett was his best rushing season, 938 yards. Sluka went way over that this year. Again, an FCS, but still pretty good SCS competition that he was playing. So, and, and the most rushing touchdowns JT Barrett had in the season was uh, 12, actually, in his final season. I almost said 11 there it was 12 and this year, um, Sluka did nine by himself and has 58, for, excuse me, 38 for his career. JT Barrett, Gary Bohannon, that's, that's pretty good company in terms of an FCS guy who is looking to make the jump to not just FBS, but major college football. If he did this two years from now, he might be playing in FBS gold or whatever you want to call that. I think this kid's a diamond in the rough. Now, there are some other quarterbacks that I that I like that Baylor has offered and some that I really like that Baylor should offer, I think. We're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, either later in this week or at the beginning of next week, depending on on the news cycle that comes out. But I, I kind of have the list ready to go. I uh, would love to talk more, but but that one came across yesterday afternoon that they had offered uh, Sluka, and that's just one that is so intriguing to me that I just had to talk more about. Let me know what you think about Sluka. And bring in an FCS guy. And it would, if he came to Baylor, would he be the best athlete on the I-35 corridor whose name ends in L U K A? Look, I'm just throwing it out there. Professional college, otherwise, Luca might be better than Luca. I know people are punching the TV screen, the computer screen right now. But that's just what I do. Today's episode is also brought to you by FanDuel, which is my favorite place to go and not just bet, but but win some money. And now you've got so many sports going on. It's the best time of the year to be doing this. And, and you're going to be dealing with your family and your in-laws in a few weeks. What better to do than watch any sports game possible because you have money on the line. And if that doesn't convince you, how about I tell you this? Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining, this is the time. And they make it easy for you. That's why I like to do it. They've got spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit Fanduel.com slash locked on. That's Fanduel.com slash locked on to get that deal, which I'll repeat for you again. New customers getting $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. Fanduel. Official partner of the NFL, and in basketball, the Bears pull away at the end of the game to defeat Seton Hall seventy-eight to sixty in the I think the penultimate game at the Farrell Center, four hundredth win for the Bears in the Farrell Center, by the way, all time. Um, and what looked like it wasn't going to be a very impressive night doesn't turn out to be a very impressive night, but still turns out to be pretty good, pretty, pretty cavalier, pretty. Just another day at the office for the Bears winning by 18. Um, Seton Hall is is nothing to write home about for the most part. I mean, I think they can be a tournament team. Uh, offensively, they they don't have a lot of, uh, of ammo in the arsenal. Uh, I, I just don't think they're a very good offensive team. But Shaheen Holloway, who we talked about on the show yesterday, he coached, used to be the coach at St. Peter's, took them to the Elite Eight um, mid-major type guy, Jersey guy, uh, Seton Hall alum. He, he has them playing a gritty brand of basketball. We knew that coming in. And I think that's one of the reasons why Scott Drew wanted to play him, uh, knowing the style of basketball that Holloway likes, um, slow half court hands of the passing lanes, which they did an excellent job of, um, in the game last night and, and just playing really gritty. And, and I thought, to that end, I thought Baylor played gritty for the most part, but they were kind of throwing the ball all over the place, and I was honestly surprised to see uh, how low the turnover numbers were, which is a good thing, but it just felt like it was it was not good. Uh, they end up only turning over. Let's see what the final turnover tally was. Uh, it ended up only being 12 turnovers for the night, and Seton Hall ends with 11. I think it was 9-4 to four, um, that Baylor had 9, and, and Seton Hall with 4. At, at halftime. So they definitely turned that around. In fact, in the first half was when I really thought they were throwing it all over the place for the last five or six minutes, of that first half. And I look up and Jaden Nunn's got three turnovers. Ray J Dennis has three turnovers. Jalen Bridges has two turnovers. I'm like, man, that, that's just not a good sign that it, it felt like St. or Seton Hall. I almost said St. Peter's is getting in their heads here a little bit as well as getting in the passing lane. But then I look at the second half numbers Jaden Nunn, no turnovers. Ray J. Dennis, one turnover. Jalen Bridges, no turnovers. And Dennis adds three assists um, in that second half. So, all's well that ends well. And they did win convincingly, 78 to 60. I think at one point in the second half, Seton Hall got it down to three. And then Baylor went on a pretty good run after that. Um, Going through the next media timeout, let me see. I have a picture of it here. They. Yeah, so it was a three-point game at 50-47. to 47, Then Baylor goes in an 8 nothing run uh, just under the 10-minute mark to go in the game and and really don't look back from there. Um, I don't think anyone really stood out, um, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, J- Ray J. Dennis ends up leading all scorers um, with 17. Uh, he had a good night. He had a good night. Um, 5 of 11 from the floor, 3 of 6 from 3, 4 of 4 from the line. That, that's about what you're asking for out of him. Turnovers, still not terrific, not terrible. Four turnovers on the night with seven assists. I'll take that advantage every night of the week and hopefully that doesn't end up turning around when you get into the gauntlet of the Big 12 schedule or even some of these good non-conference games that you got here in a couple of weeks. But yeah, this is the last game for Baylor until they play on the 16th in Detroit against Michigan State, who Michigan State lost again. Lost again. They lost to Wisconsin. They get those weird couple of Big 10 games early in the season because they have such a big conference now. Um but they lost again and they're not looking like the RPI team that they were earlier in the season. They they started top 5 before losing to James Madison at home. So and who knows if they'll be ranked when, by the time they play Baylor. Um That kind of scares me a little bit actually. Because Tom Izzo is one of, if not the best coach in in college basketball, and they need to win. They need to win big time. And I I just see a team like Michigan State that finds a way time and time again. I, Baylor is a, unequivocally the better team, um, and I hope that that shows. And of course, they get uh, ten days to to prepare for that game. But it kind of reminds me of the scenario of Baylor and uh Gonzaga last year. Remember that up in Sioux Falls uh where they love playing, it was the first time and they had lost to Virginia um on that crazy shooting night the Cavs had, they they beat UCLA and then they got just mauled by Marquette, which might have been the game before or two games before that Gonzaga game and Gonzaga looked a better team and Baylor was reeling and you were like boy, they really need a win. And they closed it out well. They ended up winning by, I think, just a point with a defensive stand at the end. So that kind of buildup is similar to this one that Michigan State has right now. But Baylor is definitely the better team, more so than Gonzaga was to Baylor last year. Um, And they were clamped down when they needed to. I don't think they, I think they actually played really well defensively. uh, For a team that could well make the NCAA tournament, they, they held them to 60 points, which is, I mean, that's 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 pretty good, even on 43% shooting, which means they were they were forcing turnovers, which we saw mostly in the second half. Um, they only shot 22 threes, Baylor did, which last year would have been like, wow, that's like five. Uh, but 10 to 22 from three is is going to win you a lot of games still, um, for sure. And Bayor closes it out defensively. Um, Seton Hall doesn't have a field goal from the under four timeout to the end of the game. Uh, basically, the last four minutes of the game, they they did not get a field goal. And that's something that is really coming along for this Baylor team. I, I They're not near there yet. They're a good defensive team, but I think they have the foundations and the personnel to be an elite defensive team. And one thing I noticed during the game was, look, Shaheen Holloway is a good coach, right? And he kept trying to isolate on Eve Misi, and that just doesn't work man, this kid was ready for college basketball. Um, he defends one-on-one really well. His footwork is good. He doesn't foul a lot in one-on-one. He's not giving you freebies. Um, and he defends the pick and roll really well. We see how he could do that offensively with the lobs. I don't know how much that's going to be there in the Big 12. Uh, I hope it does stay. But defensively, man, he, he defends the pick and roll really well. And so I look up and down this roster and I think, Okay, you know, maybe you can break them down somehow, but who is the bad defender here? Times last year, I could, there were three of them on the court that just that you could go one on one against LJ Cryer, Keontae George, um, even Bridges for a, a good amount of last year. I thought he really came on strong at the end and he's a good defender this year. So even with your weaker guys in quotations of like Jacoby Walter as a freshman and Jalen Bridges. Those guys can defend too. Like they've got the length. They can defend all five positions. And and your freshman center, who is filled out as a college player, filled out his body, man. You you can't move him. And we already know that Josh O could be a force down low too. So uh, and and Jaden Nunn is just an absolute dog. An absolute dog guarding on the perimeter. So I think this has the foundations of being an elite defense. Good win. Great win. I know, probably not, but pretty good win for this team next up Michigan state. We're going to have a lot more football transfer portal talk this week, breaking down some positions that Baylor needs and who they're offering and what they're looking at. Even though offensive lines, the number one position uh, I'm going to look at a lot of skill guys. Cause that's a little bit easier for dummies like me, but thank you for joining once again and making it your first lesson today. And every day we'll be back tomorrow because this is locked on Baylor.